Would you pray with me as we come to look at this passage? Please, God, speak to us today from your word about how we live for you every day and how we should live to serve you, or whether we're studying, working, whether we're paid for our work or not. Lord, we pray that you might, uh, by your spirit, enable me to speak words that are true and faithful, helpful and clear, and by your spirit that you'd encourage us to hear what you say to us and that we would want to walk in it, trusting and following our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, please keep your Bibles open at Ephesians chapter 6. We're starting at verse 5 shortly, uh, and I hope you can find a copy of the transcript or the outline uh, on the website if you need. I ask you, how much time do you spend working every day during the week? Eight, nine, ten hours a day? How many hours do you spend on schoolwork? Is it six or eight hours a day? How many hours a day do you as a mum or a parent spend caring for the kids, keeping the home organised and functioning? 14 or more hours a day, I might guess. How should you respond when you need to keep looking for work? We don't hear sermons on work every week. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it directly, but today God is speaking to that situation. Who are you really working for? And how does... Being a Christian changed the way we should work. And kids, I want you to listen out for the word school and what I say about schoolwork. Paul speaks to the household employment situation of slaves and their masters. Despite huge differences in social context, it remains hugely relevant for our working lives. But maybe you have a big issue with the Bible's apparent acceptance of slavery. And so that's where we'll start, with the topic of slavery. People over the years have expressed feelings of uncertainty and embarrassment through to total disappointment for Paul seemingly accepting slavery in the status quo. If that's a barrier to you hearing God speak to you in this passage please realise that the slavery of the first century was vastly different from the African slave trade which often comes to our minds. Historians estimate that between 11 and 18 million African slaves were taken between 700 AD and 1900. This together with the way many slaves have been treated is a blight on humanity. Movies like To Kill a Mockingbird, Mississippi Burning and Armistead have scenes that make my gut wrench. The way people made in God's image have been treated by others is disgusting. And we thank God that it was the Christian gospel and Christians like William Wilberforce who contributed to the banning of slaves in the British Empire in 1833. But slavery was different in Paul's day in the Roman Empire. It's thought that one-third of all people were slaves. That is approximately 60 million people. Many of them were well-educated and carried great responsibilities in the homes of wealthy people. They were doctors. They managed accounts and estates. Practically everything was done by slaves. In many homes, slaves helped discipline and train the children. They were often granted many rights 
They could accumulate money of their own and even purchase their freedom. I'm certainly not claiming that being a slave was a happy life. The situation for many was not good. The summer was terrible. However, the early church was a minority group with no political power to change an institution that was so much a part of the social order. And it would likely make life far worse for slaves if Paul told them to revolt. See, submission to authorities is a God-given responsibility. And yet, God's word speaks to help people in the worst situations that they experience. And this teaching on how slaves were to be treated was in itself revolutionary and culture-changing. The New Testament accepts slavery as a social reality, but the gospel still transforms it. Our Christian consciences today should lead us to condemn and eradicate slavery in every form. Over 40 million people are still enslaved today in forced labour, prostitution, even children as child soldiers and sex slaves. It's a horrific evil which should be fought against. And I commend to you the work of organisations such as International Justice Mission, IJM.org. Again, Paul in Ephesians here, he's not endorsing slavery. He's teaching believers how to honour God in the situation they find themselves in. And while we are not slaves to our employers, the principles in this passage still apply to our employer-employee relationships and our work situations. And so coming to the teaching to slaves is our next and our main point today. How should slaves respond to their masters, us, to our employers and managers? In what manner? Verse 5, with obedience. That word means to listen and submit or listen and obey. In other words, we're to do what's asked of us. Colossians 3 verse 22 says that slaves should obey their masters in everything, even when what's asked is unreasonable even when they're asked to clean out the animal manure and so on. Yes, there are limits. So if our employer or master or government command us to sin, we should disobey, like the Hebrew midwives did in Hebrews, oh, sorry, in Exodus chapter 1. In Exodus 1, they were commanded to kill babies and they did not. Or like the employer who commands that we stay silent about corruption fudging the books we do not if we're asked to deny Christ or never speak his name like Peter in Acts 4 we do not we stand firm we accept the punishment or seek legal redress or another job and we count it a privilege to be persecuted for Christ's sake Christians should not refuse obedience just because we feel tired or busy or unfairly treated because we work for Christ who suffered much worse to save us. And so usually from day to day, the manner of our response to our employer, your manager, your teacher, 
your boss, is to be obedient. And verse 5, we're to show them respect. We submit to them as the one in authority. And this applies to the pleasant and the unpleasant tasks, the, the boring and the challenging. So if your school teacher asks you to submit that piece of work again, or your boss asks you to do the job again, even if you felt it was good enough the first time, you do it. You obey. You can explain your view with gentleness and respect. It doesn't mean that you can't appeal to them or to their supervisor. It doesn't mean you can't, if you're working, resign and look for work elsewhere. But we must apply the principle of submitting to our authorities, whether it's a boss or a teacher or the Department of Health and Human Services asking us to wear masks. But also notice the the manner where to obey is with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. That means whether at school or work, we display focus and commitment in completing the tasks that have been assigned to us. We're committed to doing our job just as if Jesus were the one who asked us to do it. Is that how you approach it? Is that how you approach your work? You see, our trust in him will show itself. The idea is picked up in verse 7 too, serving wholeheartedly, literally with a good will. That means working not begrudgingly, but, but willingly, with kindness and a pleasant attitude. In your work or your housework, your schoolwork, how are you going at that? Working willingly with a pleasant attitude. I know many of you are out of work at the moment or looking for more. It will mean working hard in your job seeking, upskilling or training even online as you're able, showing integrity and goodwill in your interviews. Trusting God as you apply for yet another job and wait on the Lord. Christians ought to be the the best in attitude, the best in dependability, the best in integrity. It's been called the Protestant work ethic. We ought to be the best workers. And that need not mean that we're always working late every night. It's not a call to workaholism, workaholism or or call to make work your life. You might be working hard for the Lord and be failing to fulfill your God-given obligations to your family or your church. Is that you? Sometimes one form of work must take priority too. Speaking to stay-at-home parents, grandparents, there's always chores to be done, and they must be done. But don't live and work to serve the dust devils or others' expectations of cleanliness. Remember what's more important. Sit down with your kids, your grandkids, spend time with them. Teach them the way of Christ. Remember chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Remember what Jesus said to Mary and Martha about what's more important. 
But what's going to motivate us to work wholeheartedly when the year 12 sacks are overwhelming, when your work is boring or your boss is frustrating? What's to be our motivation? Verse 6 says it's, it's not, not to be winning their favor when their eye is on you. Obeying and working hard, not just when they're watching or for show or to get in their good books. Work hard when you're working from home, when you're doing school at home, and no one sees how much work you're doing but the Lord. Before being in full-time paid ministry in my previous work as a scientist, uh, it was common to see people working extra hard when the boss walked past and to see people slacking off, taking extra long lunch breaks, leaving early when the boss was away. I felt that temptation myself. You see, verse 6 includes giving us, we're here in verse 6, it includes us not giving the impression that we're working when we're not. It means that we're not to be claiming the work of others as our own or attending to lots of personal matters during work hours unless we're going to make up the time. God doesn't just want us to obey externally, but but inwardly, sincerely from our hearts. So instead of being a people pleaser, it means pleasing God in the way you work, the way you treat others, and the way you speak about your boss, even behind their back. And this means... Brothers and sisters, it means that you serve God in your work. When you work diligently and and willingly from your heart, you do the will of God. Verse 7 elaborates, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord or, or as to the Lord. And Colossians 3 verse 24 makes it explicit. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You serve God at work. When you trust in Jesus, he saves you to serve him in in all of life. And so there's no sacred and secular divide. It's not that God only cares about what you do on Sundays or in church and and he doesn't care about what you do during the week. You see, God cares about it all. Romans chapter 12 says our bodies, our, our whole lives are to be offered as living sacrifices in response to his mercy. Remember that you serve God in your work and may that motivate you to work hard and with integrity and godliness. Both of these helpful books, they're both helpful and I recommend them, Trigger and Gilbert's The Gospel at Work, How Working for King Jesus Gives Purpose and Meaning to Our Jobs. And Andrew Laird's Under Pressure, How the Gospel Helps Us Handle the Pressures of Work. I think it's helpful to remember that God created Adam and Eve and humanity to work. Work was given before sin entered the world. Genesis 2 verse 15. Work is not a curse in itself. Scott Ray is a a Christian ethicist who's written helpfully on this. Uh, You could read his books there. Uh, He said at a conference I attended when he was in Australia, Ray said, we work to fulfill the creation mandate of filling and ruling over the earth. And work comes 
from us being made in God's image. God himself worked in his creating the universe and God continues to work in his sustaining of creation and in providential care. We're all hardwired to work. And I know that this means it can be so disheartening, demoralising when you're out of work. If that's you, I pray that God will give you grace to hang in there and keep applying. All legitimate forms of work fulfil the creation mandate and express the image of God. So you need not feel that you have a nothing job. Whether you work in medicine or as a cleaner or at a checkout, whether you serve a meal, fix a pipe, manage a team, make a film, whether you do the accounts, study at school or uni, tidy your room, tidy a room, or mind the children and clean the home in all those things, God says you... God's word says to you that you serve Christ. So remember, you're serving him. Work out how your work or company contributes to the good of people, to the good of society, and then remember that you serve God as you contribute to that. See the lives of the people you benefit as something that you work to for God's glory. Don't dichotomize business and ministry. Your work is part of your worship. So do you need to remind yourself of this when the alarm goes off tomorrow? In your work or your study, you worship and serve God, or, or you ought to. It's not helpful when people say, Clinton, so you left your old job to serve God full-time. Or I left my work to enter the ministry. And I've said things like that. But God says, God's word says here, your work is your ministry. You serve the Lord Jesus there. Ephesians 4 verse 27 said that we should work so we don't have to steal but can give to the needs of others. And here in Ephesians 6, we have another and a deeper reason. We work as servants, slaves of Christ who served us by dying for us. Scott Ray says, we should serve the Lord in our home, in the church and in the world. But what you do eight, ten hours a day is also done for the Lord. Our ministry reaches beyond the, the workplace, but it includes the workplace. Do you see that? Believe that? But often, in the, hum, in the humdrum of life, it's another day, another job, another nappy. It's hard to remember we're serving the Lord. There were three workmen building a cathedral. I was blessed to be able to visit that one in 2018. It was amazing. Three workmen were building a cathedral who were questioned by a visitor as to what they were doing The first said, I'm chipping these stones. The second said, I'm earning wages. The third answered, I'm building a great cathedral. What are you doing? 
don't forget the bigger picture. It's possible to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ himself were going to eat it or to clean your house as if Christ will be the honoured guest. It's possible for teachers to teach, doctors to treat patients, nurses to care for them, solicitors to help clients, shop workers to serve customers, accountants to audit books, students to study for exams, an IT person to get that program running, or builders to construct a home as if each one were serving Jesus. And when you work to feed yourself, your family, others, to contribute to gospel work, as you also seek to witness to colleagues, do it all to please the big boss, Jesus, who's enthroned in heaven. A friend of mine from my last church who's known really hard times in his life, He was someone who was always smiling, smiling even at work. He smiles because he knows and serves Jesus, who has saved him. And when others ask him why he smiles, he speaks of his saviour. On witnessing at work, I I recommend this book, Forty Rockets, Encouragement for Turbocharging Your Evangelism at Work. The final motivation to work well is in verse 8, the reward. Serve wholeheartedly as to the Lord because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. At this point, it's important to remember the big picture of Ephesians. Remember Ephesians 1 to chapters 1 to 3 were about our riches in Christ and how we've been saved by grace. Do not think that you're saved by your hard work or your serving of Jesus. Remember chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. We're saved by grace, not by works. We never have to work hard enough to have God accept us, forgive us, or to receive his love. We're not saved by good works, and yet we've been saved to do good works. And in chapter 6, verse 8, that the good will include the work that you've done, the attitude you've had, the people you've helped. You see, friends, it's not really what job you do that matters. It's how you do your job, why you do it. It's the character that you express and the people that you bless and the relationships that you have that matter. So whether you're a lawyer or a cleaner, you serve God in both of those. You see, it's not what you do, but but rather how you do it, why you do it, and how you relate to those who you do it with that matters. And God sees that. He sees all of that. The Lord sees everything, even our motives, and we're told he he will reward us in heaven. I'm not sure what that reward will be. It may simply be Christ saying to us, to you, as he said in Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That well done, good and faithful servant, that happiness in the presence of Jesus is something I hope that you're looking forward to that motivates you now. Life or work may be really difficult for you at the moment, but when you keep trusting the Lord, obeying the Lord, the life to come with Jesus will make it worth it. When you work hard for your boss, do good, or do yet another load of washing out of a generous spirit, and you get no thanks for it now, know that it's not wasted. But God knows it is and will be worth it. Finally, and just briefly, we come to the master's. What's to be the manner of a master or employer's leadership or management? They are to treat their slaves or employees in the same way. Treat your team, your, your workers with respect. Treat them as you want to be treated. We could call it the workplace golden rule. Colossians chapter 4 says, give them what is right and fair. Christian bosses must be firm but fair. Unafraid of necessary discipline, but, but not dismissive of their workers' needs or miserly in paying them properly. And doing what is right and fair for the one must also be balanced with what is fair for all. And that's hard. Probably more complex than I know. But seek the good of those under you. Don't exploit them, but serve and care about them. I used to meet up with a Christian to read the Bible and he was a Christian boss, he had a medium-sized company and he sought to know not only how his employees were going but, but also their families. It was a great example. Don't motivate others with threats of punishment but with your example of service. Remember the example, the words and example of our Lord in Mark chapter 10. Our Lord Jesus said, don't lord your authority over people, but be a servant. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In verse 9, what's the motivation for not threatening but respecting your workers? It's knowing that your master and theirs is in heaven. God's not going to favor you because over your subordinate because you're the boss or you're more wealthy or more powerful. God doesn't show favoritism. CEOs and street sweepers will stand in the same dock on judgment day. If you're a master, remember that you have a master in heaven and serve him. So to wrap up, Serve Christ in your work, whatever it is, paid or unpaid. Serve Christ. Remembering who your real master is, what will you do differently tomorrow? When you get out of bed tomorrow, how will your attitude to your work be different? 
Work wholeheartedly, serving your Lord. Let's pray for that. Almighty God, we pray you'd forgive us for our sin, for forgetting that we serve you in all of life, seven days a week, for not always being a godly witness in our workplace, for not always serving others joyfully in our home, for not always approaching our work or our schoolwork with commitments, integrity, and with a commitment to serve Christ in that and all we do. Lord, we pray by your spirit, you may help us to honour you in our work. God, we pray too for those who are working to bring justice and freedom for those who are enslaved in our world. We pray that you would empower them, strengthen their hand, and that you would bring many to repentance and faith to find life and hope through Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would make us a godly witness to our work colleagues and neighbours. Lord, we pray that we would work hard as to the Lord, following our Lord Jesus, who first died to serve us. And in his name we pray. Amen.